guys go? I lost your pictures. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Alan can't find pictures. So much for tech oh, guys. Yeah, you figured out how it works. Well, you can tell it's a Skype episode because the audio quality is not its usual level and Alan is completely confused. Those are the two big signs. <laughs> that shouldn't be just Skype. I'm always completely confused. <laughs> That's fair. That's a good point. Uh, I am your host. I did send you to Bait Safa, Safafa earlier this week instead of Wilson. What was that? That was like they're a very, wa- they're very close. Our word for the week, <laughs> listeners, is fashla. Fashla. Which that's is, a good one. That's a good Israeli word. It's Arabic. It means... What does it mean? It means a mess up. Mess up, yeah. A mess up, as opposed to a fadiha. Which is an embarrassing... A really, uh, like a faux pas. An embarrassing mess up. An embarrassing mess up. So a fashla is like, oh, we just messed it up. Fadiha is like, I'm so embarrassed that it's all messed up. I wish somebody muzzled Tov recently on having a baby and then realized it was the wrong father of the kid. So... <laughs> It wasn't that man. So that was a big fadiha for me. Yeah, that's oh, not such a bad fadiha. Well, that's him, how's everybody doing? Is everybody sleeping? And he looked at me like, yeah, of course. <laughs> why wouldn't they be? <laughs> <laughs> All right, that is pretty good. There you go. So we, we've got an example of a fadiha for you, listeners. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Not being able to find Wolfson might be a bit of a fadiha, even if I sent you to Bates of Fafa. <laughs> no, the, the ways was taking me. Anyway, let's not unpack this now. <laughs> Uh, goodbye, first-time <laughs> listeners. It was nice having you. Uh, I am your host, Michael Unterberg, who still has several uh, – a minute and a half in has not introduced himself. I'm here, as always, with co-host Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? It's going great. We should also mention that uh, this is the JU Israel Teacher's Lounge podcast, where we try <laughs> to keep you connected to what's going on uh, in, in Israel and give you some insight behind the headlines. And we are joined in our third chair, at least virtually, by Matt Littman. How's it going, Matt? Good morning, everybody. It's going great. So this is a real teacher's lounge. It's three JU Israel teachers sitting and talking. I know I have coffee. Do you guys have coffee? Yeah, I already just, had mine in prep for the meeting nice and early this morning. That's the, oh, you did, oh, you're supposed to have one as we talk so that all the gross slurping noises come out on the audio. I needed a full yeah, yeah. it before we started. So... Uh. <laughs> Well, we thought this, this episode, what we, what's been on our minds, and we've been talking about it over the course of the week on and off, are uh, two uh, anniversaries of Israel history that really impact us till today. And we wanted to spend a little time uh, before, in our, and I guess, I guess for American listeners, this is our Thanksgiving episode? Yeah. Because yeah. we're, yep, yep. we're recording this on American Thanksgiving. So I'm sure they're watching football while they're going to listen to this. I think they're going to listen to this instead of watching the football. Yeah. Get the family uh, gathered around the uh, the wire. We don't have to be yeah, mutually Matt. exclusive. We don't have to be mutually exclusive. That's you know. true. Matt, did you just call American football football? Did I? Oh, God. Okay. It's just All for right. the benefit of the listeners. I mean, the American football, not the soccer that you guys like to, to talk about. I mean, you may lose your British citizenship over that. I may have to report you. <laughs> I do, by the way, from my Thanksgiving, I do uh, Friday night. Since there's so do we. That's what we do. Yeah, because your wife's American, mm-hmm. and my kids are American. So yeah. I always say some of my best wives and kids are American. So some of them, <laughs> we do nothing. But Shabbat this is our first Shabbat home for Corey Teen. So oh, that's exciting! You having turkey? Uh, I don't know. Whatever they serve at Malach <laughs> <laughs> you have to bring your own pumpkin pie, Alan. 
Yeah. Actually, they have quite a quite a spread there. That's so. really good food at Malachim Shabbat. Now, yeah. our logic is if Jewish holidays are two days in the States, then American holidays should be two days in Israel. And we have... Uh, Amen. Friday. So you should have it on Thursday and Friday. I know, but that's a lot of work. <laughs> uh, so we, we wanted to talk about two anniversaries. Alan, would you explain what these two anniversaries are we're going to be talking about today? Um, yes, but do we want to talk a little bit about the pizza push now that's going on we well, just wanted the, the, to sort of the, introduce it yeah the sort of the you, rising the, element of the peace process is we're going to get to I think in next week's episode I think that has to has it have its own episode the return of American driven peace talks and why it's already stumbling before it enters the gate I think that'll be our, our talk for next week right exactly we sort of just wanted to uh, put that, that every new administration comes in puts it on their you know uh, on their agenda, oh, I want to make peace in the Middle East, which really goes back to our anniversaries, that the Middle East is a continual for the, the 20th century, has been a t- continual um, issue, let's say, in international politics, um, certainly since World War since World War One, And that was no different uh, 50 years ago in 1967, as we know, when Israel, uh, uh, Six-Day War, and expanded the, the territories, and this year, in that 50th anniversary, so there's also the 50th anniversary of trying to solve that. The international community stepping in and trying to solve that. And they did that um, in November 22nd, which was yesterday. We were recording this on Thursdays. We said Thanksgiving. November 22nd, 1967, the UN um, passed in the Security Council what uh, has become really the framework for the international community try, like trying to... Uh, you say impose peace or facilitate peace, depending on your, I guess, your perspective in the Middle East, which is Resolution 242, which is the idea that Israel withdraws from territories and gets recognized borders and integration into the Middle East. I guess is that the, a good way of uh, of summing up 242's main ideas? So UN 242, you're saying, was the attempt how long ago? 50 years ago? 50 years ago. 50 years ago yesterday. To try to get the Israelis and the Arab world to come to some form of functional resolution. Re- like yeah. Yeah, they, and they, could, they, they established a framework for that. And the framework for that was what, what people like to use the catchphrase, land for peace. Okay, so what did... Well, well first of all, the other anniversary that is this week is uh, Sadat's Sadat. Peace Initiative. Sadat's visit to Israel. Yeah. Even, right? The Sadat visit to Israel, the first time an Arab leader um, visited the state of Israel and spoke in the Knesset. Okay, and those things are probably kind of related. In a that was in way. 1977. Yeah, it was 10 years following. No, they're directly related. It's a direct correlation. Because then the result of that Sadat visit is Israel withdraws from the Sinai and signs a peace treaty with, with Egypt. And it's so, interesting that the, we, we said we're going to talk about um, next week, that we're going to talk about Trump's plan. Um, but, for example, Bibi Netanyahu, in his speech on the 40th anniversary of Sadat's visit, he said, we haven't found our Palestinian Sadat yet. So we can see how that that line kind of continues from 67, 77, and even today, trying to find someone that, in his eyes, in Bibi's eyes, is someone that we can actually have a, a peaceful settlement with. Well, the Israeli argument is often... And I'm not, I'm not saying it's the Israeli argument to 
as, as a negative. But the Israeli argument is often that it, it, you, you cannot impose from really outside. These really claim. You cannot impose from outside the terms of peace. It has to come from within. And since we on our side are always willing, it really has to come from uh, within the Palestinian world. So what is what uh, is so, that, yeah. that's that's sort of the so what is two four two, what does it so say? Two four, so two four two, um, you know the the two there are two main um, sort of. Uh, it comes after what, the what, six day war. What's the English? Yeah, what's the English words for Sifim? Sorry, two um, clauses, right? The two main clauses. Well, it's that, got a lot um, of verbiage November, around the two clauses, right? Right, but in that's November like nineteen sixty seven. Yeah. Listen, the United Nations have right. to justify all their salaries, so they have yeah. to write long documents, and it says. Uh, well, actually, two for two is not so long. It, yeah, two for two is pretty. Well, it's pretty both flowery language and. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, flowery language. It's all sure. that diplomatic. Of course, there was also it was also issued in French and English, but um, the idea is that in 1967, uh, the war was in June. This was in November, right? Where. Um, the, is the Security Council, which we know no Arab countries were sitting on and no and Israel does not sit on the Security Council. The Security Council is basically made up of the five countries that won World War Two. And so and theoretically that their 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 resolutions are binding there. So they came up with this resolution. This is the this is the way to uh, solve the issues of the Middle East. And of course, the, the, you know, you had both sides during the Cold War, both sides, you know, the Western Per se versus the 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 Soviet Union, um, or the the Warsaw Pact. So you have the Arabs, the, the are, two, Arabs are within the umbrella of the Soviet world, and Israel's in America and the West. Right, and so the two main clauses are one and two. The first clause is withdrawal of Israeli armed forces from territories occupied in the recent conflict. Clause two is termination of all claims or states of belligerency and respect for the acknowledgement of the sovereignty, territorial integrity, and political independence of every state in the area and the right to live in peace within secure and recognized boundaries, free from threats or acts of force. So in Those short, are the two clauses. Clause one is Israel has conquered in the Six-Day War the Golan Heights in the north from Syria, the West Bank and Jerusalem from Jordan, and in the south the entire Sinai Peninsula and the Gaza Strip from Egypt. And the first clause right. in 242 says Israel must withdraw from all of that territory. Does it say well, it all say of that territory? All. No, it says from territory. From territory, was, which is a vague... It was an argument. That's it a was vague an argument. that was argued into the language on purpose. Yeah, and Israel, Israel with, of course, um, the lobbying to the United States, because uh, this was proxy of the United States, Managed to keep the word "all" out of that, out of so, that um, clause. So the, but so, in the mind of the uh, of the Security like Council, a, then what was the actual? I mean, I assume they had all those areas in mind, or were there some areas that the Security Council would have been willing to say, you know what, if you leave Area X, we'll let you keep Area Y. Again, it depends who you talk to in the Security Council. Okay. Really. Let's not talk um, about the United States for now. Then let's talk about uh, some of the other players. Because there. it ends up being a le- like a, a Talmudic argument. <laughs> my, mo- I would say that most of my students, when they first read this, they 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 don't make that distinction. They they think that it's, it's clearly seems to. Uh, anyway, we know legal 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 things have you know weight in the international community, of course, and how it's supposed to be. Well, when you say um, legal, if it's a Security Council resolution, what makes that legal? 
because uh, at least I guess the idea is that all the nations that belong to the UN have accepted that the Security and Security Council has certain legal status to, to, to decide international uh, conflicts. So all member states of the United Nations have agreed that when the Security Council comes out with a resolution of this type, that should be binding international law. Yeah, I mean, I don't see how you can understand it any other way. And the first clause says that Israel must withdraw from territories conquered in the 67 war. It isn't specific about a, a timeline or how much of the territory, at least in its literal sense. But Correct. the spirit seems to be soon and all. Correct. Uh, the spirit seems to be definitely soon and with all. But, but the second clause is... is is also just as valid and in non-legal language. What's the second clause saying? Which is which is that there's going to be um, uh, you know very clear. It says peace within secure and recognized boundaries, free from threats or acts of force. That Israel will, Israel and other countries in the area will not be um, threatened or before and everybody's going to recognize the boundaries that are set up. Um, but is that something which is binding on both sides? I.e. Yeah. Why okay, not? so well, no, that 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 that's what would, one would have thought. But the way that now I'm now that we're discussing, I'm I'm having a rethink about it slightly, to suggest that it's. Oh, it's we're against be, that. We're against thinking. Here <laughs> the teachers so I, I won't do that anymore. I'll forget okay. about that. After this, this um, is your last chance. This is your last one. After okay. this thought, the uh, <laughs> the idea of having this as a warning, both to a warning or a. Um, and whatever the word is, I can't quite think of it now, but an instruction to both the Arab states and also to Israel, or is it directed only at the Arab states as a quid pro quo? Which one are we talking about here? Are we saying if clause one happens, then clause two has by Israel, then clause two has to happen by the Arab states? Or is it a warning to Israel? Look, you did, you, you conquered land in clause one that we're talking about. Don't even think about now going to conquer more in clause two. No, Do you understand what Yeah, I don't think anybody... Uh, uh, is suspicious that Israel's planning on taking over Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, or Egypt, or invading them or taking more territory. I don't think that's okay, on their so, mind. I think so that... in that case, it's interesting that Clause 2 doesn't mention any of the states, any of the Arab states that were involved in attacking Israel in 1967. Correct. Are those, are those states ever mentioned by, by name anywhere else in the clause? I'm, looking at the, I'm just looking at Clause 1 and 2 right now, but is there anywhere else in the resolution... Where those countries are mentioned by for, by mentioned by name as being responsible for the war or not? Well, keep in mind no. that the Arab the Arab nation states, to a certain extent, at that point, are really working together. In other words, uh, Nasser has the, the the president of Egypt has gotten some of them. He's gotten, in particular, Jordan to sign on to coordinate under his command. And there's an Arab League, which at least briefly is going to function as sort of a united voice for the Arab world. So I don't know that you need to, I think it's clear that they're talking about the Arab world in general and its state of hostility towards the state of Israel. And clause two, I think is essentially saying you guys have to, you guys have to drop that. Yeah. But you, you could read it and not know that that, that it's, that that's only talking about one side because it doesn't mention anything about Arab states or Arab league. When you say that all states should, you know, regard each other peacefully, and I, I, that, by definition, is really a that that's 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 a moral claim that all states should. I don't have to be specific. Murder is bad. It's also within a context. I'm talking they about you, know. Jimmy. You know, uh, 
No, but that, that's what I'm trying to. That's what I'm trying to understand. If we're talking about this situation where Israel was also being held to that standard, or they only had to do clause one, like Israel does clause Israel one, and the Arab League does. No, of course they okay. did. They're not allowed to be belligerent in this now, for sure. Okay. They're talking about everybody, but in the context of this. But I think that uh, at, you know, further on, you know, they talk about freedom of navigation, which was really the beginning of the whole uh, problem. But they also throw in the refugee. F- you know, solving the refugee. But go back into these two main clauses. You you, you touched on some of those things before. Was it is it is it one and then the other? Uh, is it mean because it's, related? is it set up there? Are those right. independent law legal statements, or are they or, or is do they follow from each other? Are they interdependent? Right. In other words, it's Israel. You have to do so, this. Arab world. You have to do that. And there's no relationship. Or is it Israel? You have to do this, and you shouldn't worry. Because pulling out of that territory will not put you in danger, because legally all Arab states have to make peace with you and recognize you. Is, well, is I mean, it? if you look at, so I mean, I think if you look at the documents, again, not to get too Talmudic, but, you know, it, it, the introduction to I these think, two I clauses think is, is... a closet anti-Semite. He's, he keeps making, like, the Talmud <laughs> a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of the rabbis uh, burn copies of it and censored it and all that sort of stuff, right? That's so true. Alan, that is, Alan is an old school. I just didn't realize that was the old school he was joining. <laughs> so it says, affirms that the fulfillment of charter principles requires the establishment of a just and lasting peace in the Middle East, which should include the application of both the following principles, right? It's both the following principles. So I don't, they're not one and then the other. It's, it's, but both these principles need to be fulfilled by both sides. That's because they're, they're establishing a framework. They're not saying do this and that. They're establishing a framework. This is how we come to that solution that both sides accept these conditions upon themselves. Um, and so that, I, I, wouldn't, I, don't, I don't see how you could read it any other way, quite honestly, that both sides have to be. It's not that Israel's to withdraw and then they get all this recognition and peace and all that kind of stuff. Well, there's the there's the there's the wording of it, which, if we're reading it as law, does I think pretty clearly. I think you're making a pretty clear case that the wording is indicating that they're interdependent. But there's also just plain old logic. In other words, yeah, you know, you have to unlock your door, and you on the other side have to put down your gun and and agree that you're not going to shoot the person when they open the door. But those are totally inter- they, they they have nothing to do with each other. Those are just two totally separate. Yeah, that, that just doesn't pass a basic, you know, common yeah. sense analysis. So then, the, so then the question is: Do you think that the order of those, of the state of the clauses, was intentional? Because the uh, first clause is relating to Israel's responsibility, and the second clause is relating to the, um, to the responsibility of the Arab states. So, is that something which? Do you see what I mean? Like, is that intentional to say well, okay, Israel I, has I guess what I'm saying is, if you're, is it racist to say Mexican standoff? They used to call it that when guys are holding guns at each other. You always see that in action Probably. movies. Probably. Everything's okay. pretty much racist today, so figure right, it so is. It says the racist <laughs> anti-Semite. So, so <laughs> I won't call it that. But pretend, it, pretend you, you have a scene from a mediocre action movie. Or, or even not mediocre. There's that great scene at the end of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly where it's a three-way... Uh, uh, showdown, and the good, the bad, and the ugly are aiming guns at, are about to shoot each other. So if I walk up to you know these guys holding guns at each other, and I say to them, "Okay, everybody, put down your guns. Jim, put down your guns. Bill, put down your guns." So it doesn't make sense for Bill to say, 
Well, Jim has to do it first. You told him first. Right. Uh, I'm not sure I entirely agree with that. If, if, if Jim or Bill think one is a greater threat than they themselves, if one is saying, I'm acting in self-defense, I'm holding my gun to you as an act of self-defense and with no aggressive uh, intention other than defending myself, then I think I'm well within my right to say, you put your gun down first, I was attacked first, or I was threatened first, and then I will put my gun down. I think that's totally legitimate. Okay, well, in that, in that, in that scenario, Israel is the country that says... We can't withdraw from territory as long as we have belligerent actors on our borders. We have to take our security as a paramount concern. So when they, okay. when they observe their clause, in other words, it has to be at least simultaneous. Okay. Logically. So therefore, the writing of the order, if, it's supposed to, if law is supposed to connect to reality in any way, then the reality is that Israel cannot withdraw until the Arabs stop their belligerence. Okay, I mean, I, I'm not, que I'm not questioning, I'm not questioning that. I'm, I'm just, I was trying to clarify as opposed to, to debate with you about it. Yeah, no, I think that's what it is, and I think, I think, and, and and this is sort of the hypocrisy of bringing up two four two of Israel does not observe international law. Well, neither does most of the Arab world. <laughs> yeah, but it's conven <laughs> it's a, it's convenient to ignore that, right? It's convenient, it's convenient to, ignore to ignore clause two. Well, it's not only that confusing. We need to talk about the the history of it, right? You mean because it came after Khartoum? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> even from the beginning, right? Even from the beginning, we have uh, we have a problem here, right? Go ahead. Go ahead. In the fact, in the fact that here you have the international community um, coming along and saying, "This is how we solve the problem," ignoring the fact that two months earlier, more or less, it seems to me. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they talked about it behind doors and all those things, but but two months before, in September of 1967, post the war, the Arab League gets together and they decide on what is is the you know the now League? famous called the Arab League is all the countries that uh, I guess consider themselves the, the Arabs that come together. They still come together today to decide policy for the Arabs. I guess you'd think it is something like a you know. Um, again, like the Western power center, we have different things. Like when you had like NATO, let's say NATO um, uh, would be probably a good thing. Or in those days, the Warsaw Pact, all the different came under the sphere of the Soviet Union. So here's a, a group of countries that have affinity with one another, I guess, define themselves ethnically as Arabs, Arab countries. And uh, and then get together to, to decide policy in the big picture. Of course, you know. Um, Egypt is the big player there for a big, big you know, one of the big players. Um, so they get together in Khartoum in the Sudan in September of 67. And they come up with what is today known as the, the, the three no's, where they say we're no recognition to Israel, no negotiations and no peace. <laughs> so it's and like deciding this at their meeting at Khartoum essentially means we demand of all countries in this league that consider themselves Arab nation states. We are agreeing that none of us will violate this. Yeah, and so what? So what's the like? What? Where? I don't even like. Where is the the, the the UN thing? It just seems ludicrous, quite honestly, right? It's like the the, the international community trying. We have to do something because 
Middle East peace is on now on our radar since 19, you know, the World War One, and so we have to do something. So we're gonna we're gonna mandate how it's gonna be, become be, become done. But you have one player that clearly says we have no intention of ever playing this game. So I, I you know, um, Alan, let me let me be devil's advocate for a second, sure. if that's okay with you. No, the the, the terms of the uh, or, or the result of the conference in Khartoum was basically, as you said, the three no's, right? No negotiation, no recognition, um, um, no negotiation, no recognition, and... No peace. No peace. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> no peace. I mean, it's like, I mean, we pretty much right. can't get further than that. But the, the, let me... Um, so let's see your play, devil's advocate. Let me play devil's show advocate. Us, show us your best devil. Okay, so let, let's say this, okay? I, I mean, I'd like to focus on those first two for, for the moment, okay? No re recognition and sure no negotiation. Because that helps my cause, of course, okay? Yeah. My, my, my devilcy, or whatever you call it, my devil's advocacy. But the, um, let's say, if it, it is possible that the, uh, the terms of UN Resolution 242, Security Council Resolution 242, can be executed unilaterally, right? Israel can pull out of the territories which were conquered in the Six-Day War, and those other countries of the Arab League countries, they can decide or they can act unilaterally and just not attack Israel again. Right? There doesn't need to be any negotiation. What is the negotiation involved here? So, and even if you're going to well, say, well, what about uh, the, what, you're going to say to me, what about the third note, the peace? Right? No. Well, what peace about recognition? Be, Acknowledgement of the sovereignty in territorial integrity and political dependence of every state in the area. That's recognition. That's recognition. Okay, so my devil's advocacy has, has I'm dropping my trident and I'm walking away. <laughs> Fine, to say that. Okay, hey, you're no, unless at a pitchfork, you're confusing. Uh, no, no, I think what you're trying to say, or something. and I think you're trying to say, and I think that that's exactly the the manipulation that's used with two four two when people say no, Israel first has to withdraw, and then we'll talk to them, then we'll then we'll then, then we'll discuss clause two. Right. <laughs> right. That's the manipulation of this document, which makes it ludicrous to say, oh, is the document means it's supposed to withdraw and then we can discuss clause two. No, you are legally required to recognize the sovereignty yeah. of the UN exactly. agreed upon state of Israel. That is your yes. legal requirement, Arab world. Once you uh, do that, then you can begin negotiating how you want the borders to look and all those things are resolvable between two sovereign states. But you cannot demand that Israel stop existing and right. then make legal demands upon it, it, it enough okay. with the absurdity well I'd, right. I'd also like to just ask the question to you both about the, the term of the word peace right um, because that's the one that we were, we were focusing and that, that was the one that pulled out the rug from under my uh, devil advocacy um, is Look, peace all we are saying is give is peace, give a, peace chance. a chance <laughs> saying oh, I was singing out I said saying not singing. <laughs> yes. Um, so, so my question though is: Is peace something that has to be active, or is it can it be something that's passive? I.e., if I never attack you, right? Do we have well, peace together? Well, it as says opposed it, to me okay. signing something that says I promise I'm not going to to uh, to attack you. Do you understand what what I'm asking here? Yes, can but you, be something peace by lack of action. No, because peace is qualified, and the right to live in peace within secure and recognized boundaries, free from threats of acts of force. So I'll be, right. I'll, attack I'll be the peace lawyer for the Arabs. Peace includes recognition. Peace includes recognized borders. I'll be That's the lawyer active. for the Arabs. Your Honor, we, that nowhere in that law do they have to do anything actively other than acknowledging that Israel has a sovereign right to exist. Okay. Once, they're right. non-belligerent, right. once they're non-belligerent, they have now fulfilled the letter of that law. Okay. They don't have to have uh, an embassy there. They don't have to have 
diplomatic trade negotiations, trade any interactions trade, like that. Nothing, nothing. All they have to do, Your Honor, they're just going to do the minimum. They're going to acknowledge Israel's right to exist, cease all belligerent claims, and come to some sort of terms about what the borders are and respect them. But we don't have to like them or get along with them or allow travel yeah. or we don't have to have, we don't have to normalize relations with Israel. We just have to recognize that it exists and, and not that, kill it mm -hmm. and agree where the borders are. It's a very simple analogy, like my next door neighbor. It happens to be that I get on very well with my next door neighbor. But in a case where I wouldn't get on well with my next door neighbor, we can agree that this is my house. This is your house. Right. We don't have to lend each other a cup of sugar if we need it. We don't have to have afternoon tea together or, or watch the soccer or the football, whichever one you want to call it together. But we have to agree that I'm not going to start throwing trash over my fence into his garden or bang on his door at three o'clock in the morning to wake him up as a joke and, you know, those sorts of things. That is the minimum that international law requires. Okay. And so to this day, when any, when any, when Iran or any other state or any other entity talks about the dissolution of the state of Israel as an aberration against history or whatever the, whatever language they choose to use, they are in open, open attack on international law and they immediately talk about Israel as violating international law. The, the, the hypocrisy of the anti-Israel world with regard to 242 is appalling. And, uh, you know, there, there is, you can have no moral high ground if you refuse to recognize the sovereignty of a member state of the United Nations. All your moral high ground, in my eyes, is in the garbage. You can't do that. You can't say... Well, it has 8 million citizens. It's a completely legitimate state. It's recognized all over the world. There's embassies with every country in the world except for, for us. But we say you got to go. You're, off the, you're, you're out of the conversation in a meaningful sense, in, in anyone who understands international standards. So the fact that, that they have, there, there has, the anti-Israel world has managed to make Israel seem like it's on the defensive, when it comes to international law, is astonishing, except for the West Bank. So, except for, well, then when you bring up the West Bank, the interesting thing about, the, about 242 is, of course, in 1967, Israel had conquered the West Bank that had been annexed by Jordan. Which an the annexation, international community did not recognize. Right. An annexation that most of the uh, international community did not recognize, as you point out. On the other hand, nowhere in 242 does it discuss Palestinians or setting up a Palestinian state. The only way, the only reference to Palestinians is when it says later in the document about solving the refugee problem. But it doesn't say, you know, withdrawal of territories and also establishing a new state called Palestine. It's clear in 242 that when they talk about withdrawal of territories, those areas are going to go back to Jordan. those, the, right, West Bank to Jordan, Gaza to Egypt. And obviously, go on Palestinians this, this are not year, in the conversation in the international conversation in '67. It's no. Israel and even, its neighbors. Even though the PLO already already exists, the PLO which was created in 1964. Right. Um, right. So that that and the shift only comes later. But that that that. So how does in 1977 how does Sadat like what happens that now Sadat walks into Israel, which is a recognition of Israel, and then goes into a peace process and then signs a peace. And we have... In violation one can of argue, the nose of Khartoum. Bidouk. When one can, when one can, one can certainly 
we, our piece isn't beautiful. We don't necessarily share cups of sugar all the time, but it's a stable piece that we've had for 40 years. I would say how does Sadat do that? I would say it's functional, and I would say it's uh, somewhat. I mean, it's beneficial to both sides. The peace between Israel and Egypt. Right. For, for for a very long time. Look, I, I don't see yeah, any I, other I, way... I would agree with that, Michael, by the way. Mike, I would agree with that. But on the other hand, um, yes, it's functional. Yes, it works at the top level of government and in terms of security cooperation and things like that. Would I want to walk through downtown Cairo wearing wearing a kippah? No. Well, we know. When things, when things get socially, social unrest happens here, like in 2011, the Israeli embassy was attacked. The, the, some of the people inside security were, 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 <clears throat> were um, uh, besieged, and they had a huge military operation to get them out. They thought they were going to be killed. So, um, I mean, so, I, I think that talks to what we were talking about before. Peace can be, there's many levels of peace, right? The pragmatism of, of Egyptian leadership, and I would throw into that Saudi leadership, which and, and I would also throw in Jordanian leadership, which wants to have a useful, functional, pragmatic relationship with Israel. They haven't managed to turn Arab public opinion in their countries to viewing that as a positive. They haven't really worked on it, partially because in an autocratic, autocratic system, you don't need public opinion behind you. And partially because it's easy when you're an autocrat to use the Israel button as, oh, look at that terrible thing. Don't be mad at me. So they're they're playing it both ways, and it's except that and it works opposite. Also, it means that Sadat can decide to come to Israel when he wants to. Right. Well, I, 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 in terms of your question, I don't know how you get to seventy-seven without going through seventy-three. No, you do. I think I think that Sadat, the seventy-three Yom Kippur War, was a devastating attack on Israel. I think most young people don't don't have don't retain the sense memory. Of that blow to Israel, to its not to to first of all the existential fear at that moment of Israel being invaded for the first time since it was created, of a generation of standing soldiers, eighteen to twenty-one year old soldiers, really decimated. You know, anyone who was who had graduated in you know seventy, seventy-one, or seventy-two can go through their yearbook and uh, you know Israeli males. And just show you who, which of their classmates were killed in, in 73. By, uh, by the way, it even, go, it even goes further because, of course, Israel's a reserve army. You're talking about all the right. men up until pretty much the age of 50 at that time were, were well, drafted. Once the, once the Miluimdi came, once the reserves came in, so it's still they incurred serious losses. But that scramble on that Yom Kippur to get the reserves out to the front was was a governmental failure, which led to the collapse of the government. It was a, a, an intelligence failure. It was an inner sense of security that the Israelis had, this post-67 sense that Israelis had, that we're the masters of, of the region, was shattered by Sadat's really brilliant, you know, boy who cried wolf strategy of, oh, I'm going to attack you? No, I'm not. Oh, I'm going to attack you? No, I'm not. And then on Yom Kippur, boom, and really knocked a serious blow against Israel. <coughs> His generals told him, that was our best shot militarily. And, when that failed, and we didn't and walk all, away with the Sinai, we will never be able to get the Sinai back militarily. That's not an option. And the spin, and of course the spin in the, in the Egypt was that they won the war, right? The October war, because they managed well, to... Well, they redefined in, the goal. Such, yeah, well, such they m- managed to break that, 
that armor, you could say, right. right? That emotional psychological armor, they call the October War as a victory. And they have a museum to the victory of the October War in with showing Israeli, you know, things we that got they our destroyed and captured. The Suez Canal and destroyed Israeli yeah. positions and captured Israeli soldiers. That is a victory for Egypt. Well, okay. And, because you redefine you just redefine the goal. But, but many and many no, would no, say no, that, that was the whole, that was the whole point of it. In other words, that's also the Sadat knew they wasn't going to destroy Israel. They never had the the thought they were going to destroy Israel. They wanted to make that chink so that then he could they could move towards a peace process. Could that, be. It's hard to argue the, they weren't genuinely attempting to reconquer the Sinai. That I think. No, be, oh, the Sinai. I said destroy Israel. The Sinai. The, the Sinai. Yes. Yeah, so no, as far as I understand, that the goal was not in seventy three to destroy Israel. It was to reach. No, exactly. That could right. not and, stand, and they failed yeah, I mean, in their goal. So by the standard version of warfare, they lost. And they, and they, I mean, Sharon's tanks are miles out of Cairo. Like they lost by any standard, but in, in Egyptian propaganda, they redefined the goals of the war and claimed victory. It's, no, no democracy would ever do a thing like that. Like let's say invade another country to destroy their weapons of mass destruction. Well, and then well, after the well, war well, say, <laughs> like you wouldn't... You would only have You're such a cynic, like right? in the such Arab a cynic. world. You just go back to the Yom Kippur War. Just go back to the Yom Kippur War. Israel doesn't redefine and say, like, oh, we won. I mean, it brought down the government. Israel and essentially says, okay, yes, we've managed to maintain. But Israel sees that as a loss, essentially. You know, Even though they won. Even though they won. In other Which words, we maintain but the fact that we were able to be broken. I would argue that a reality-based political worldview is very helpful and healthy, even when it hurts, as opposed sure. to a fantasy-based political worldview is going to ultimately be self-destructive. Right. But, and that ultimately leads that Sadat's able to make that overture to Israel. He feels that he's from a place of strength, you know, coming to talk to Israel, that he's not the, so, uh, the subject of 1967 war, but now the, the victor of 73 makes that overture to Israel. Um, and, and literally during a right-wing, first right-wing government that Israel ever has, the Begin Likud government comes into Israel's Knesset parliament and, and speaks to Israel and extends his well, hand. He's exhausted, he's exhausted the military option, so now he's trying yeah. the other option. I, of course, that's, that's also a Nixon, only Nixon can go to China moment. That because sure. it's a right-wing government, that makes peace much more possible because the people are going to trust Menachem Begin, the staunch right-wing guy right. who's been sitting in the opposition for 30 years. You know, Mr. Greater Israel, Mr defense and security over everything, Mr. Hawk, if he's making peace with Egypt, if he's the one who can give back the Sinai to Egypt as part of a peace deal, and, the, and, and in a way that probably the left couldn't have done it, which nobody knew when the political revolution of 77 took place, it, bringing Begin in as the prime minister, that political revolution, nobody would have dreamed that that yeah. would lead to peace with Egypt. And, and Egypt and, it, yeah, again, man. Sorry, go, go on. No, no, no. No, I, I, I was just going to say it's, it's also interesting that the, the government were willing to to accept his, his, his reach to them, bearing in mind how you were saying how devastating the war was just a few years earlier. So this was someone that was much like seen as a, an enemy and the country was seen as an enemy. And yet hard decisions were making, made on both sides and they were able to uh, work were the, together. There were those who warned that this was a Sadat trick. 
there was much fear to the move, but um, absolutely. And but that's what it takes to make you know you, you need leaders like that who are really going to be do make bold moves. Unfortunately, I mean, fortunate leads to the peace. Unfortunate leads to Sadat's demise. He's assassinated because of it in mm-hmm. eighty what two is it? I don't remember, I but something like that. Look, in eighty two. We will unpack Camp David at length in a future episode because yeah. it's a it's a fascinating topic in and of itself. Um, but here you have the you know we're coming up on these anniversaries of two events which are really inextricably linked. Uh, two four two, which is often used as a cudgel against Israel, when really it's such a hypocritical uh, piece of 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 propaganda manipulation, manipulation <laughs> garbage. Uh, and, and, and you know, oh, I'm I'm standing because it comes from this like, oh, I'm on the moral high ground. I'm standing up for international law. No, you're not. So, right. so and 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 look at the productivity that comes from an Arab leader who says, you know what, I'm going to put down my rifle and I'm going to come and visit the Knesset and talk, and how productive that is for everybody. And you know, yeah. and and one day, hopefully, sooner than later. We'll see that sensibility. Not only we're, we're watching it sort of seep into more Arab countries and thinking, hopefully more of the Arab population, not just governments, will begin to look at the situation that way. And I think just to tie up to the end is the fact that 242 really, really can't do anything, right? A UN resolution can't do anything. An international discussion between the the four great powers, three great powers, whatever you say, is not really going to do anything until you have the leaders on both sides that are willing to actually make some of those, uh, those, those bold moves. And once you do, uh, you don't need 242. Right. You can help them negotiate how to come to the conclusions on the details. But you need the, not willingness of both sides to come to the table. You need the desire of both sides to come to the table, which is not exactly the same thing. And that's, I think, will bring us in next week when we talk about what, what's happening really now with this, uh, this new initiative of this new presidency. They were, okay. they were looking to find out more about some of, the, uh, some of the details, I think. Yeah, but we'll leave it as a mystery if we feel optimistic about its success or not. Yes. I wonder Great. what we think. What's the offering? Free ice cream for everybody? I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah. Listen, if this piece of initiative works, I will buy free ice cream to any listener. No problem. <laughs> Quick, tell your like, friends, then we'll get increased careful, careful. listening <laughs> We're, we're right, coming guys. up on our 10,000th download, by the way. Woohoo! So that's Michael pretty good for us. Uh, a kiddish for all of us when we, uh, when we get to 10,000. So quick listeners, yes. please click like, 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 and download as much as you can. Yeah, and uh, rate us on iTunes. And recommend us. Yes. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you all so right, much, guys. fellas. Thanksgiving, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Oh, yeah. Bye. Bye-bye. This has been JU Israel, the Teacher's Lounge podcast. Please check out our website, juisrael.jerusalemu.org, for episodes, blog posts, and contact information. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever you use for podcasts. But you knew that, right? Uh, You can follow our Facebook page at the Teacher's Lounge podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at juisraelgap. Please keep in touch with us with questions, comments, feedback, and suggestions. And... If you know somebody who would enjoy our podcast in general or an episode in particular, we love it when people recommend us. Thank you, guys.